Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast, exploring everything beer in Central Oregon, with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Today I'm joined by Dustin Jameson, who works not just at Deschutes, but in the very fun, what do you guys, I forgot the name, what do you call your your wooden forest? So our, uh, yeah, barrel production facility, we call it Oakland. Oakland, uh, exactly. Yep. Oakland. Uh, and that is where he gets to work because uh, he gets to be in charge of the Stellar Reserve series, all the really fun barrel-aged beers that come out of there. So welcome to the show. Yeah, nice to meet you, Joe. Um, thanks for having me in. And let's start with how does one, you know, you were a brewer, but now are you a brewer or are you a cellar master? Are you a barrel lorder over what uh are you are you making beer are you aging beer are you doing both yeah i mean it's a fun kind of like hybrid where i still have like all the experience with brewing and cellars and all the like production stuff that a normal brewer would do but what i do day to day tends to be more the esoteric and the more traditional like you know long-term aging or souring or fruiting or you know, just doing things like the hard way. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, just a, I don't know. I got into it early, early on whenever craft beer was just starting that trend of like barrel aging. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and kind of got in on, you know, the fun aspect of brewing. Certainly. I mean, thinking about the the arc of craft beer, uh, here we are. Uh, it's the tail end of 2023. And I'm trying to think about events like FOBAB, uh, Festival of Barrel Age Beers in Chicago. Because I, when I think about barrel aging, I absolutely think of the Midwest as being the epicenter of that. Um, you had Chicago area brewers, Goose Island, long before they were uh, an AB property uh, with Bourbon County Stout. Uh, uh, you had Flossmore Station doing barrel-aged, you know, bourbon barrel-aged uh, uh, barley wines and things like that. And obviously, in part, it maybe it was because of you had a closer proximity to Kentucky mm-hmm. and those bourbon barrels that they are only allowed to use by law once to age bourbon. Then what do they do with it? They could ship it off to Scotland to make scotch. They could cut it in half to make planters or increasingly enterprising brewers were like, hey, we could make something really awesome with those. Yeah. And early on, um, getting barrels was, you know, it was a byproduct that they hadn't really figured out, like how they were going to deal with all of them. So they were super cheap, like super cheap, right? (laughs) It's definitely not that way anymore. But how much do you think uh, a regular run of the mill bourbon barrel would have run a brewery back in 2005 or even 2010 versus how much do you guys have to pay for them today? I mean, you could have definitely found stuff for, you know, 70, 50 to 70 bucks, like pretty easily um, early on Um, any more. 200 plus is pretty common you know like a very like low level young whiskey is you know like right around that 200 mark and then it just goes up from there depending on you know the the bourbon that's coming out of it or if it was some other type of specialty spirit 
um, or a special type of wood, you know, can definitely push it up there. And thinking about back then versus now, do you ever get to put in a request for a specific barrel or you get what you get? Um, I mean, depending on what level you're buying at, like, you know, a full truckload is 288 barrels. Um, if you're at that level, a lot of times you can work with, um, like through a broker usually, but work with a distillery to kind of like ask for certain types of barrels. Um, you know, it kind of spreads that window out there. So you have to plan ahead a little bit more, but there is a little bit of leeway. Um, as far as like the specialty woods or the specialty type of spirits, a lot of times they may only dump once a year. So, you know, you just have to kind of be on people's list to get that phone call to say like, Hey, we got these really special barrels. Like, are you interested? Um, Uh, let's start with how many barrels are in Oakland? Uh, currently we're sitting, uh, give or take 600. 600. So. So that's got to make Deschutes one of the largest oak aging programs in the country, I'm guessing. I would say we're in the top 10, yeah. Top 10, right on. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Deschutes is already top 10, maybe 11, I don't know, you know, when you look at the annual list of uh, craft breweries, so it kind of stands to reason. Uh, but then I guess maybe there are a couple other breweries that really, really specialize in that, obviously, uh, the Stellar Reserve series for Deschutes is not the primary focus, unlike some of those breweries. Even even Goose Island, obviously, they make, I have no idea how many millions of, of, of barrels of IPA a year. But they are still primarily, I don't know, I, I think even the people who might not be into them are like, well, uh, Bourbon County Stout, uh, that's a pretty great beer. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, what we're producing out of uh, Oakland is less than 1% of, like, Deschutes, like, yearly volume. So, like, it's a fun thing to do, but it's also very small and, like, big aspect of what's going on. And I will tell you unequivocally, not not that I've thought of a list of favorite beers, but if I had to, The Abyss is perennially in my top five. I think it's just, it's one of those beers that really opened my eyes to what, barrel agent can do for beer and it's never waned it's just you guys keep it at such a high level that's why me and tons of other people get super excited when it is released uh how much of oakland how many of the barrels within your barrel program are dedicated to the abyss um anywhere from it's quarter to a third of the barrels are just just abyss and then what's the next biggest uh, project or brand that comes out of out of those barrels? Then uh, pretty, pretty comparable volume would be our Black Butte anniversary, which is like Imperial Black Butte porter that's aged in bourbon barrels usually. Right on. Now, but one of the things I've wondered about that, uh, I believe it was the last one that was the Black Forest version, right? It had uh, some chocolate, some cherries in there. Does that age in the barrel... Or did those flavors get maybe mixed in, blended in after some uh, a year or so of, of aging? Yeah, so for that one where we use fresh fruit, um, cherries come around in July usually for harvest. Um, and just for the timing of that beer, that ended up being one where the beer was already aged for about nine months. And then whenever we got the fruit, then it went on to the fruit for a secondary kind of fruit fermentation after the oak aging. Is that fruit 
decent for eating after because it sounds like I imagine it would be delicious. So it's delicious, fresh, and going in. But after it's like soaked and everything, (laughs) it's just been, yeah, all the good flavors are out of it and in the beer at that point. That is too bad because, you know, we're talking about upcycling with like these bourbon barrels. Imagine instead of Luxardo cherries, a jar of the Abyss cherries. But if you're saying all the stuff that you want to eat in that cocktail cherry is gone, then then, then maybe not. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> interesting because it goes from this bright, vibrant red to kind of like a just really pale pink where it's like extracted color and flavor and sugars and all those things are, yeah, it's just like a husk of what it was. And obviously the color won't impart a beer like the Abyss because it's as dark as the yeah. Abyss. Yep. Yeah, but you do it in a creek or a light base, and you get this amazing just kind of ruby red to pinkish color, depending on your dosing rate that comes through. And like you mentioned, a creek, uh, I know that Deschutes released an awesome creek, a sour cherry beer called Tumalo Creek just a few years ago. Uh, I've seen so many other fruited beers, not just sour beers, but like we're talking about cherries in the the Black Butte anniversary beer. how many different fruits would you say you've used? And are they always fresh? Do you guys ever buy pureed? Uh, what, what's the decision-making for when and how to fruit a beer? So what I use um, after moving out here to Oregon, there's just so much like local fruit and growers, and there's so much like diversity in the types of fruit. You know, I never realized there were so many different versions of peaches and nectarines. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's like the more you look and the more you talk to orchardists and you taste different fruit and you start picking out like certain varieties you want to do for certain projects. Um, you know, in my world, I try to deal mostly in whole fruit. So, you know, come like harvest time through the summer, it's, you know, um, berries and stuff early on. And then you get into cherries and then you get into the stone fruit and, um, you know, we've done stuff with apples and pears and yeah. So it's just like, you go through that same just seasonal process of bringing in different fruit throughout the year and, um, kind of like planning ahead when having beers ready to, um, process onto it. There's really so, so, so much that goes into creating a, all these different barrel aged beers. You have to think about first and foremost, what is the base beer style? What kind of barrel is it going to be racked into? What kind of fruit are we going to age it on? What is your creative process for for that? And do you, Dustin, get full control or do you have to run these ideas by someone else? How does that work at at Deschutes? Um, I mean, for a lot of the smaller release stuff that's only going to end up in our tasting room or the pubs, um, you know, we're looking at a couple hundred cases at most maybe. So a lot of those things are very much just like you know, an idea, a brainstorm, and just kind of deciding, you know, does it sound interesting? Is it something that we want to do? Is it something that we think people would be, you know, interested in tasting? And, um, you know, it's a little bit different versus like the production level beers where, you know, you have to take into account like where it's going to go and how long it may, you know, sit on shelves and, you know, is it going to be stable for a long period of time? Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty wide open. There's not a ton of, um, you know, direction, I guess, as far as being told that you need to make certain things. It's uh, it's a lot of freedom to play around. Right on. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Now, also, you had mentioned uh, moving out to Oregon. I know that before you lived here, uh, I, I believe you're from Kansas City, right? K- yep. KC, Missouri. Yeah. 
Uh, I know that you worked at uh, Boulevard there in in Kansas City, probably the probably the biggest independent brewery in the Midwest, is my guess. Yeah, I mean it's very similar to Deschutes as far as like you know the the growth period, and it's one year younger than Deschutes is, um, but they were kind of like the regional you know player in the Midwest area. Um, had a very um, saturated market as far as like, you know, say within 150 miles of the brewery, that was the beer that you saw everywhere. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, sorry. I'm That's all right. No, losing but, track on what I was saying, but yeah. Um, well, yeah, just trying to like, maybe Boulevard doesn't have quite the same, uh, awareness, brand awareness here in Oregon, but it, I'm just trying to show like, this is a, a real juggernaut in the craft beer industry both in terms of size, age, history. But uh, when I think about those barrel-aged beers, as as I know we've discussed, some really phenomenal beers. Uh, I think just like the Abyss is Deschutes' probably most famous uh, barrel-aged beer. When I think about Boulevard, I can't help but think about Bourbon Barrel Quad, affectionately nicknamed BBQ, uh, obviously an even better name considering Casey style barbecue is so good. Yep. And there's no trip to Casey without having some Boulevard beers. Uh, I'm definitely a, a un, is it unfiltered wheat? Yep. Is that the, right? Yep, that's our... I love that. I think Tink 7 is one of the most beautiful saisons made in the country. But uh, uh, if you could find it, and I know that throughout the history that barrel is, that the bottle has been easier or harder to find, uh, some some BBQ with some BBQ is a is an amazing pairing. Yeah, that that was a fun one to um, work on, come up with. Um, we had at Boulevard, our um, brewmaster was from Belgium, so a lot of our beer styles tended towards that, like Belgian strains, characteristics, um, brewing process, and all that stuff. So um, we made a really great quad, put in bourbon barrels, and then added cherries, and kind of finished it off that way, and. Yeah, that's how that beer came around, and it's so good. I I remember it used to be. Could could we find it in Oregon? Is is it available here? It comes and goes. Comes and goes, yeah. right? When I was able to find it, it was uh, a staple in my personal cellar. Uh, I'm almost positive I'm out, but yeah. Next time, uh, I I know I'll be through there again. Um, what are some of you know? Uh, it's the obvious thing is to think about beers like the Abyss. Uh, we did a whole uh, podcast on the Dissident not too long ago. Uh, a Flanders, do you call that a Flanders brown or a Flanders red? I feel like red. Uh, brown. Seems like brown. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what is it about? You know, and you had just mentioned the the brewmaster at Boulevard. Uh, he's Belgian. Was Belgian. Uh, I don't think we have anyone like that here, but what is it about Belgian styles? You know, really strong quads like you were talking about, but also the the world of uh, mixed fermentation beers. I mean, you can't, uh, you, can't you don't really make those without oaking, without oak aging those. Uh, what is it about, about what the Belgians have taught the American craft brewers that pairs so beautifully with what you get out of oak. Cause what is it? Talk, like, tell us what happens. The journey you, you rack it. It's a regular beer. What's going on inside that one vessel 
Yeah. That when it comes out, it's so changed. It has evolved into something so much more majestic. Yeah. The biggest thing um, that I've learned from like Belgian beers is patience. You know, it's uh, going to be a much longer process than most anything else we would normally do. Um, there's a ton of just like, you know, you're talking about the microbes, you're talking about like the structure of the beer itself and the fermentability of the ward. And like, there's so many aspects that are, you know, adjusted in the brew house that end up dictating the final beer. Um, we've done, a, I've done a lot of work with like Brett in particular, and we know that like certain fermentation compounds are the compounds that are then converted by the Brett and to give certain Brett characters, whether it's, you know, the horsey barn or if it's more of kind of the tropical fruity and knowing that like certain strains really like certain compounds that are produced when you use like some of the Belgian strains of yeast. But if you used, you know, say a more neutral American style of yeast to brew with, then there's less of those compounds to be converted mm. later on. So you're not going to get as much of a bread, like defining character coming out of the final beer. Sounds like a, some good and bad there. Like you gain some things, you lose some things maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a whole world of complication that, you know, we, we don't play in a lot here in the U.S., but it's interesting to like, you know, some of the people that are doing these beers just like all the time. And then a lot of their findings where they're, you know, taking 20 years of experience and trying to like make decisions based on that, whereas they've been doing it for hundreds of years. And, you know, they don't know exactly why things happen, but they know that that's just the way they've been doing it and it works and it's delicious. And there's a lot of romantic stories out of those breweries and blenderies across Belgium where, I mean, just take their, their, Hughes style. I, I'll never know if I pronounce that right, but I feel like it's a Hughes, Goose, Goose, as, as most Americans would pronounce it. That's a, a beer style that by definition, it can't be made in under three years, whereas a lot of American craft brewers are turning out a beer in less than three weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> time is definitely uh, one of the things that I would say we as a as a country, as a as a culture of brewers have have gleaned from the Belgians. And it's also like, um, you know, so much of it is blending. So they'll blend different years with some of it being three years, some of it being a little bit fresher, but they're doing it to like a flavor profile. And then they're also okay with limiting it. Like mm -hmm. they're not going to put out more beer than they can realistically produce and have it at that quality that they're looking for. And if that means that there's just less beer that year, then that's just what it is. That is amazing. Now, talking about putting out a beer of a certain quality, uh, quite famously, several breweries have had these mishaps. You know, and you mentioned Brett. So when you're dealing with Britannomyces, uh, a sort of wild, funky yeast strain, as it were, um, sometimes things can and do go wrong. Has have you ever had anything like that happen in down in, in Deschutes' Oakland? I haven't had anything here, but early on um, back at Boulevard, we did have um, just some like it was before we had any sort of like flash pasteurizers or anything like that. Like I don't even know if any of the craft breweries were doing it at the time. Mm. So it was just a matter of like sampling all the individual barrels, and then like if we didn't trust sensory, we sometimes got like lab plating. 
but it was so tedious to sample like a hundred barrels. <laughs> right. And I mean, tedious, but keep in mind, someone out there is listening, going, "I volunteer. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll help out." So one thing we found is that our like just smelling, tasting, sensory levels were nothing compared to like when we plated ah. them. And we would go through and say like, oh, well, you know, five of these stood out as like, yeah, we shouldn't use these. But then we plated them and we're like, oh, well, 20 of these hundred barrels like are growing on the plates. And so there's like sensory thresholds that it took us like a little bit of trial and error to realize like we're not picking up everything. And, um, you know, so we just had like an imperial stout that got, you know, blended and packaged up and somewhere in that way, you know, path, there was a couple barrels that had bread in it. And so, you know, you, this is exactly why the adage is that beer is equal parts art and science. Yep. If you only have one of those, if you don't have the art side, you're going to make an uninspired, not very flavorful beer. But if you don't have the science side, who knows if you'll be able to drink <laughs> what comes out of there. Yeah. Um, so here we are again. Uh, it, it's finally winter, even though it doesn't quite feel like it yet, uh, both down here in town, uh, sadly up on the mountain. <laughs> but uh, it really is the perfect season for uh, for Stellar Reserve beers. What is the next release that you have coming out? Or do you only release them two times a year and this is not one of them? Um, so we, yeah, with our Solid Door Society, it's kind of like a members club. Um, we do two releases, one in the spring around April-ish and then one in the fall, like November. Um, so this most recent release just went out a couple weeks ago. And of that one, it has a lot of like really dark beers. Um, I made a uh sweet potato mm. like yam brulee just yam like, brulee yeah <laughs> roasted like 25 pounds of sweet potatoes at home brown sugar caramel like all those flavors and we brewed this beer and then put it into a rum barrel and picked up some of the spices and the rum character and all that excellent um, yeah delicious um we have imperial milk stout that was in a delicious bourbon barrel um what else have a cherry cider which i don't know if you know we make wayfarer cider um we only serve it at our pubs but we make uh 100 did not know that spontaneous cider every year what um, oh i love it so is it is it funky is it basically the lambic of ciders yeah pretty oh, much. Like, i must 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 come in and try that and that's available at the pub and the simpson tasting room so it's in the tasting room off and on. Um, it's one of our, our gluten-free offerings that we keep either that or we make a gluten-free beer down at the pub. So one of the two are always on in the tasting room, but the cider should always be on at the pubs. That's um, really, I mean, that is so my my jam when it comes to ciders, uh, Basque ciders, you know, mm -hmm. the, the way that they kind of do in Spain and uh, the Basque land. And I, I'm very happy to to learn that. Uh, now, also, you mentioned uh, that the yam brulee, the brulee <laughs> yam beer went into a rum barrel, which from my just, you know, my personal experience, uh, sometimes those beers that come out of a rum barrel are phenomenal. Sometimes I find them to be a little bit metallic. Uh, but how many different types of barrels do you have beyond bourbon? You must have, obviously, you have uh rum i know you've done tequila aged releases of beers and cognac and a lot of wine barrels do you have a handle on how many different kinds of barrels you have 
Uh, currently, we probably have at least 10 different types between like brandies and bourbons and uh, whiskey, rum, wine, new oak. Um, we don't have any like sherry casks or anything left over right now. But yeah, I mean, we've cycled so many different beers and like we've had gin barrels in the past. And um, Gin barrel. You don't see a lot of gin barrel aged beers mainly because you don't see a lot of aged gins. Yep. But when you do find them, I that unlike rum barrels, I don't think I've ever had anything less than a cellar beer come out of a gin barrel. So, for what it's worth, I vote for trying to track down more of those. Yeah, the biggest thing with gin barrels is we found that mostly they're smaller format, so like mm. fifteen to twenty-five gallons, and they're mostly coming from like you know craft distillers. So. There's not a ton of them out there all the time. And then also like storing them because they are a smaller barrel. They don't fit on standard racks. And so you have to like, I've built, you know, like more of the French, like old style of chalking them up and making a pyramid of them. And amazing. You know, so you just have to figure out alternative ways of storing things. What? So I'm, I'm picturing this sort of Christmas tree, you know, so a, a canicular shape, a, a pyramidal shape. Uh, as I'm picturing walking around in Oakland, are you able to describe the smell down there? Oh, or are you yeah. sort of immune to it because you, you work there all the time? And like, even if you walked into a stinky footy gym after a couple months, you're not going to notice that bad smell. Do, does it hit you the the way it smells, what I think of it in a great way, the few times that I've been in a room like that? I could close my eyes and I feel like I'm enjoying the beer through smelling them. What what are some of the smells that, that hit you down there? So especially when we're like filling and emptying things, you get lots and lots of like that kind of like just smoked wood the, from the char, the spirits just up, you know, the bourbon. And then it's usually mixed with like, you know, chocolatey, just like aromas coming from the beer itself. And those are like the days when it really stands out. Um, you know, it's part of our main warehouse and that's a huge open space. So it's hard for those smells to kind of stay concentrated sure. for very long. But yeah, it's uh, super tasty or smells great whenever you were like doing production and either filling or emptying barrels. That is great. Now, I also know that uh, Deschutes make a very, very tiny run of Black Butte whiskey where Obviously, Deschutes being the brewery, you brew the beer or maybe what is referred to as a distiller's beer or distiller's wash uh, that your friends over at Ben Distillery turns into whiskey. Do you get the barrels back? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we make Black Butte Cubed with. Okay. Right. I forgot about that. Black Butte Cubed. Does that come out once a year or every other year? It's been coming out every other year or so. Um, a lot of it's dictated on just the number of barrels that we can get from the distillery. Because, you know, even if we make uh, 100 barrels a wash and then they distill it down, they only fill like four or five wooden barrels at a time. Um, so, and then that ages for multiple years before that gets emptied. And so it's clearly a love and a passion project. It's not like anyone's laughing all the way to the bank by selling. <laughs> A barrel or two of, of yeah. whiskey, you know. Um, but I don't think I've ever had Black Butte Cubed. Is the is the beer that goes in, it's obviously not regular Black Butte Porter, but I'm guessing it must be the anniversary version of it. 
Um, so does Black Butte Cubed change each year the way the anniversary beer does? Or is it the base of that before it gets adjuncted? Yeah, so um, Cubed is the same Black Butte anniversary base. Um, and that's very similar to what we produce for the wash. And when we get that barrel back, we make that same base, put it into this barrel. The biggest difference is these Black Butte whiskey barrels, whenever they like age for like a year, year and a half, they just become super chocolatey. And we don't get that same character out of mm. like a standard bourbon barrel. Um, and I, I'm sure it has something to do with the wash itself having so much chocolate malt in it going in whenever it was the, the spirit. Um, so like the vanilla is exaggerated, the chocolate's exaggerated, and it just seems like such a richer beer, even though it's the exact same base that our anniversary beer is. So interesting, yeah. Uh, when it comes to both making and drinking, do you have a personal preference between your, you know, generally bourbon-aged uh, strong beers like the Abyss, like the Black Butte Anniversary, versus uh, some of the sour beers uh, in that project, both the Dissident, but also Creek and, you know, the other set of fruited ones that you've done? And the the, the Hughes, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> uh, I call it Goose. Goose, yeah. fair enough, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so currently my favorite, um, and more of it's like I prefer a, a lighter beer versus a giant 12, 13% big fair dark enough, beer, which yeah. is, you know, they're great, but <laughs> sure. I'm not going to sit at home and drink a whole bottle of it. Um, Thank God you guys moved down from the 750 or 650s. Were they were they 750 milliliter bottles originally, or were they, they were 650s like slash 22 ounce. ounces? Yep, yeah, yep. Uh, but still, that's not a one person yep. job to finish that. Whereas now that they're in the 375s or 355s or you know roughly 12 ounce bottles, yep. uh, I, I thank you, and I, I think it sounds like you thank yourself for for that. Yeah, um, but I would say like my favorite right now is Neon Daydream, and it's not necessarily sour, but it's you know a bread beer. It's kind of it's not necessarily a saison base, but it's very similar and um, has like it's dry hopped, which is a little bit different than a lot of bread beers. But it is so um, good, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, and is that like one of the things that I do compulsively when I pop into the production brewery? Uh, maybe I'm there to meet up with someone. Maybe I'm there to try a new beer. But I will always just go stand at the racks of your cellar reserve beers. Uh, talk to people about what the decision is. I mean, is is one of everything available? How does it work as far as having access? Because these beers are not put into wide distribution. You can't go into Freddy's or Safeway or Market of Choice uh, and routinely find these beers like you can go into both the pub and uh, the the tasting room. Uh, how does how does how is it managed as far as shelving them and 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 offering them to the public? Yeah, I mean it's always um, I know like our tasting rooms try really hard to like bring beers on tap or to have like bottle samples that they taste people on because a lot of times you look at that shelf and it's just overwhelming and you're like wow you know I don't know exactly what that is and it's hard like in tiny print to say like a real good description of a beer I'm glad so. you brought that up I mean <laughs> as I'm as I'm getting older man some sometimes these beer labels I'm like do they not realize who their audience is <laughs> yeah um, 
So, I mean, they found that it helps a ton to, you know, be able to like pour people samples and then they're like, oh, wow, that's really good. And, you know, they kind of, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, helping, like being a helpful shopper to direct them and talk to them and say like, hey, like, what do you like? What are you interested in? Um, and then, well, you know, let's try this. And That is exactly what happened. I can't remember the name of the beer. What's the one that features plums? Planet Plum. Planet Plum. Thank yeah. you. Uh and I thought, I, I didn't have a visceral reaction when I saw it other than, oh, that's interesting. You don't see a whole lot of plum mm-hmm. sour beers, although I love to eat plums. And it was through getting to sample it that I realized, oh, that's a magnificent beer. Um, so, yeah, I think I think for people who are interested in these, trying to make your way to one of those two spots, again, the, the pub on Bond, the larger tasting room on Simpson, and mm-hmm. seeing what you might get to try because there are so many of those beers that you get to put out, even though they're in small quantity, mm-hmm. they're available in small measures. But by virtue of living here in Bend or in Central Oregon, we get access to these phenomenal beers. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you are working on now because t- timing is is a crucial element for you? It's not just the oak. It's not just the Britannomyces and the, you know, other wild uh, cultures that are in there. It's the time. Is there anything that you are already looking forward to that has not been released that is in progress, in process right now? Um, I mean, one of the ones I'm uh, excited about is we're um, doing Fresh Squeeze Old Fashion again, which mm. was a fun beer several years ago. Um, and we have a small volume of that in barrels right now. And looking at early next year um you know pulling it out doing orange and all those good aspects of it and um, cocktail beer is yep. really fun yeah yep um and then like i got a couple of collaborations um got one with bevel and um i've worked with like funky fauna and done some really fun beers that are just like you know i've been so... trying to get michael and danielle on this podcast for a long time uh that funky fauna out in sisters, I figured you'd be a, a, a fan because they're doing something pretty unique here in yeah. central Oregon. That's no one else is, is in that exact uh, sandbox, yep. that, that playground that they're in. Yeah. I mean, they're doing amazing things and I have never had a bad beer. Like everything I've tried from him has been fantastic and it's down there like that four and a half percent. And it's just like very drinkable so many, stuff, like, yeah. flavors and, you know, uses like, uh, harvested kind of like wild strain to ferment everything with that is coming from the air and that's like I mean he's not using cultured yeast at all and he's getting like such consistent beer out of it. So what's the collaboration that you're doing with them? So we took his strain and we kind of like looked at it from the lab perspective and we found a couple like wild clean strains of sack um, and then Saccharomyces just yep, for yep, listeners exactly. sake. Um <laughs> So, yeah, we found um, those two strains in there, and he doesn't really make any IPAs. So they came up to our pilot plant, and we brewed a beer, you know, and, you know, used all the hops and pretty much, like, did whatever we wanted and um, just fermented with that yeast to see what would come out. And it's this amazing kind of farmhouse-y IPA, like, yeah, it, it was so surprising. Like, we tasted it at the end of fermentation and was like, wow, this is just a really awesome saison. Amazing. Um, Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, again, here we are. It's uh, the tail end of 2023. 
If you haven't bought gifts for the beer lovers in your life, virtually everything from Deschutes' Cellar Reserve series would be a great gift for them. All thanks to my man Dustin here. Uh, anything else that you would want to let folks know about what's coming out soon in early 24 or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, the um, you know, for the really like esoteric stuff, there's the the Barrel Age Club. Um, get some really awesome beers out of it. How, does, then, how do people join that? Um, so on our website, there will be a link for um, the Cellar Door Society. And then we also just started up like a pub club, which is going to be a very similar thing, but it's just going to be beers that are coming out of the pub um, where they're canning them up and they're doing releases like four times a year. Um, so, yeah, if you are really interested in the one off stuff and the stuff that, you know, is going to be brewed once and then, you know, it's going to be gone, then those are the, the outlets for that one. There we go. Thank you so much. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grand Craft Beer Podcast with yet another voice from Central Oregon's homegrown beer community. We hope you'll share this episode and subscribe so you never miss a beer-soaked conversation. For questions, comments, or suggestions, contact host Brian Yeager via Facebook, Instagram, or X, all with the handle at Grand Craft Beer, all one word. Cheers!